Well, good morning. Um, I'm excited to be in Genesis 42 today. Well, I'll leave that how it is. Um, we are down to the single digits of wrapping up, preaching through the book of Genesis. Uh, it's been dozens of, of weeks in the book of Genesis, and I wanted to give you a heads up about, about where we've been, but then also a heads up about where we're, we're going. So after Genesis, the plan has been to move into a series about church leadership, and uh, it might not sound exciting, but I think it'll actually be, be really exciting, and walking through how the Bible leads us to have a church that's led by multiple pastors uh, that are called elders. So this is a very biblical teaching in the pastoral epistles and other places, and also in church leadership to be led by, by people who lead primarily through serving the church and the community called deacons. And so, so for the last, uh, so, so we're heading into doing a whole series just focused on this and how the Bible has us think about how to approach this. But I want to let you know that for the last many months, uh, specifically since May, um, a, group, a group of guys in the church I've been uh, leading into, um, a group of men in a leadership group where we've been reading and discussing scripture together. Uh, we've been reading books and discussing books together. We've been praying. We've been getting closer to each other and just see if the Lord, we've entered this process to see if the Lord would, would raise up one or more of these guys to even become elders in our church at this time or, or soon. And uh, in the weeks to come, um, and in this up upcoming sermon series, I, I just wanted to share that um, we're just going to dive into Scripture, and then we're going to dive into these guys' lives, and just give time for our church to, to come around, to get to know them better, to get to know where they're at, um, to give plenty of time for everyone to, like, to talk about it, and to give any feedback, and to really give space and time to like hear, hear feedback. As, as we believe that God is going to be pouring into people, transforming. One thing we talk about a lot at the church is changed lives change lives. And so as Jesus is changing our lives, like we're hoping that, 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 that that's uh, contagious. And even feeling that as it relates to the process of stepping into anything God is calling us to as it relates to his church and to church leadership. And so, so why do I mention this today? Um, first, I just, it's become clear to me that I've done a bad job communicating what's been happening. Um, I think I've been really focusing on the task at hand. And, um, and so first, I want to just ask you to forgive me for not communicating better over the last several months as we've been uh, in this process and, and, and just not doing it secretively, but not being like, hey, this is happening. Um, and so I want to communicate better. And uh, I do ask you to forgive Give me for that then uh, genuinely. Um, but then another reason is I want to ask you to pray. Like, like genuinely, would you pray for Jesus to build his church, for us to hear together, all of us, like how, Jesus, do you want us to build your church at this time? What does it look like? Who are the people involved? Uh, we want to be biblical. We want to have a biblical uh, multiple pastors, multiple deacons leading our church. And so, so I just, this isn't what the whole sermon's going to be about today. It, that, those weeks will come. Uh, but, but I really did 
uh, really ask you, would you commit to pray for this? Would you commit to, to pray for this process? It's taken a lot of logistics. Kaylin schedules meeting after meeting after meeting, and it's, it's uh, you know, bless her as she is serving in that way, but, but I would love for each of us to, to pray for that, if that's okay. Can I just pray quickly for that? It's okay. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for the things that happen in the life of your church uh, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And God, we, we want to be a community that is just in your hands. And God, I just thank you for the people that you're calling into this church. And Lord, I, I thank you for the process that we've been in and just seeking to raise up leaders in our church. And, and we just look to you to guide us. Would you, would you unite us in a way that uh, we do feel like we're one body with you as our head directing us for your mission in us and through us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So we're in chapter 42 of Genesis, as I mentioned. And this is, I, I've, I've seen Joseph in ways I've never seen him before. And we're just smack dab in the life of Joseph. And there's been so much of Joseph's story. I mean, we, we've looked at like Joseph being in the pit for so long and just like identifying with Joseph's life. And today, what I've been praying for is actually that we'd not identify with Joseph today. So it's a, it's a different, going in a different direction that I feel like scripture is taking us where we've been identifying with Joseph and how, how Joseph's brothers have been have been so against what God has been calling Joseph into. And actually, on this Christmas, you know, Christmassy festive, um, is actually today that we'd see ourselves as Joseph's brothers. Um, that their story would actually illuminate our stories. Um, Joseph, Joseph's brothers have done terribly wicked things over decades. And you might be like, well, I'm not as bad as them. Uh, but maybe I just ask, would each of us maybe just allow ourselves to go there this morning for a little bit and, and maybe see like, God, am I Joseph's brothers? So, so we're going to dive into scripture and let him teach us his ways. Verse, verse one of chapter two starts by saying, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, and, and just as a, just like envision this, they're likely in their 40s and 30s age-wise, have families, have jobs. You know, he's not talking to little kids in the home. He's talking to, to people in their 40s, people in their 30s. Um, Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Jacob thinks his son is dead. He's been thinking for 20 years his son is dead. Him hearing that there's grain for sale in Egypt, he has no idea that it's because of his son that there's grain for sale in Egypt. And that his son is actually leading that. And Jacob just knows his son has been dead for 20 years. The things that happen that we are so oblivious to... Um, and that God is working in ways that we don't even know he's working, and it's actually for our good. Verse two, he said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. I, I feel like Jacob is telling his sons, sons, stop looking at each other. 
you know, I just see like these groups of, of guys just being like, man, there's no grain here. Yep. Man, a fellow ought to find some grain. Yep. You know, like it just kind of feels like, like it's kind of like he's witnessing this pool of ignorance, having a conversation with each other. And he's like, maybe you guys should go where you could actually get some help. And Jacob leads his family to go get true help in Egypt for his family. And look what he says, that we may live and not die. This is not just like a trip to the grocery store. For them, they truly believe they're going to die. Their families are going to starve to death if they don't leave. So we're talking not just like the first year of a drought. We're talking like they are deep into this 14-year prophetic uh, situation happening on earth where, where there's incredible rain for seven years and then nothing for seven years. And, and remember how wealthy Jacob is. We've, we've seen Jacob be very prosperous. And so it's not, it, it seems like it makes sense that Jacob's like, we have money. Like you guys have money. We just have no food. So take your money and go to Egypt and get food. Um, now verse six. Now, Joseph was governor over the land of Egypt. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers. It's been 20 years since he'd seen them. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse nine, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them when he was a teenager And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Look at that. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Joseph knows they aren't honest men. (laughs) He's like, you trafficked me. 20 years ago, and you're calling yourself an honest man. Um, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph not only recognizes them, but Joseph recognizes that this is the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. That God gave this vision to Joseph so long ago that, hey, your brothers are going to bow down and worship you. And uh, when Joseph shared that, they trafficked him and got rid of him and told their dad that they had killed him or not they killed told their dad that he had died um so his dad has believed a lie that he was just eaten by a wild animal and um what is fascinating is the brothers just want a transaction the brothers are showing up in egypt saying we have money you have food let's do business the brothers just want a transaction And what I love is God loves the brothers too much to allow for a transaction to take place. 
and I'm going to try and Lord willing scripture and God will, will communicate to each of us that he treats us this way. That we would even prefer showing up to church and just do a little transaction. Hey, I'm going to give some money in the offering plate. You give me something that's just like, just give me a, a shot of dopamine, basically. Like, like, just make me feel a little bit better about my life. Make me feel a little, give me a little shot in the arm and let's just do a transaction. God instead is unsettling the brothers to awaken them to their deepest need. God is starting to unsettle the brothers to awaken them to their deepest needs. God wants more for them than food. They just want a transaction, and he's like, no. I want more for you than food. God is desiring, what he's going to do here is he's desiring 20 years of healing to take place. Verse 12, Joseph keeps pressing his brothers. Verse 12, he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers. The son, you know, they're like, we're just trying to do a transaction here, man. Like, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. So they're speaking to Joseph, not knowing it's him, and saying, like, we have a brother who doesn't exist anymore. Look at verse four. But the brother who doesn't exist anymore said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So Joseph, biologically, he's got, he's got half brothers, but he only has one full brother, and that's the youngest, who Joseph's mom, who he hasn't seen and she no longer is living, Joseph's mom died giving birth to this younger brother, who's the only one who's not there. So Joseph is orchestrating to see his brother. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies." which means that they would be executed. And he put them all together in custody for three days. He throws them in jail. Joseph is being hard on them. You could be like, Joseph is getting revenge. I don't think Joseph is getting revenge. I think revenge would have, he would have been like, no. <laughs> revenge would have looked a lot differently. Joseph is being hard on them. Joseph is pressing on them because, and what they're gonna see here in a second is that God is pressing on them. God is after them. God is accusing the brothers to awaken them to their deepest need. God is accusing them. And he does that in our lives too. He, he is accusing us of things to awaken us to our deepest need. Now verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. So they've been in prison for, or jail for three days. Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, 
Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Verse 21 is fascinating. So they're speaking Egyptian, like Joseph is speaking Egyptian to them. And a translator is translating Egyptian into Hebrew. But the brothers, when they talk to each other, are speaking Hebrew, which Joseph knows. Joseph is fluent in Egyptian and fluent in Hebrew. So verse 21, they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And we don't see this. When this is happening earlier in scripture, it's never told to us that Joseph is begging his brothers for his life and to not be sold into human trafficking. And we're never told that until now when the brothers, I think, have been carrying the shame of this, been carrying the haunting of this. I imagine that as their kids were being born, there was probably shame in them that like my brother doesn't have any kids because of my hand, because of the things that we've done. And maybe they've, they've tried to suppress that. They've tried to do whatever to get them to not live in that. But here, they're honest with each other. They were wanting to do a transaction and God's doing some things to get deeper. Verse 22, Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They think he's dead. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. And then look at Joseph's heart. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And you might think like, oh, that was nice of Joseph to like, even after he gave them all of this grain to take back and to keep Jacob and the rest of the family alive, that he like put the money back. But this is going to ruin them because they're going to think they stole it. Like they stole the grain. That, that, so even the frustration is happening. And what is happening is God is connecting their lives to awaken them to their deepest need. He is wanting to say like, hey, look, when you as a 40-year-old man walk in to this throne room wanting to do a transaction with the leader, um, I want to connect your whole life to this moment. I want to connect things that have happened in the past. I want to connect all of these things because I'm wanting to awaken deeper needs that I want to meet in that moment. God is removing the whitewashed version of our lives to tell that, that we can tell ourselves. He's awakening, he's awakening their consciences. Like it's fascinating how quickly they go there. You know, they're like 20 years ago, but they're quickly like saying each other, like this is because of what happened with our brother and because of what we did, and we need to realize we're not honest men. We are guilty men here. Now, they could probably give maybe examples of the last 20 years where they, they did something like with the sheep or agriculturally where they were honest, 
but there's a deeper thing of saying, don't say you're an honest man. And I, I love here as they're talking about Joseph pleading for his life and, and all the stuff that Joseph weeps hearing about their remorse. Hearing the genuineness of their remorse touches him deeply. And sometimes just saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Is like, oh, they already know that, or I'm sure they already have thought about that. But like to actually say those few words, and they haven't said that to him yet in that way, but just for Joseph to hear the remorse of their actions touches him so deeply. And um, that's been my experience as, as that's, you know, I've been on both sides of that. Verse 26, when they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed, and as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. I don't know if you have a situation in your life where you're like, my heart failed me in that moment. And for when these brothers realize that their money had been put back in the grain sacks, they, their hearts failed them. They're like, oh my gosh, we are criminals. We're criminals. And they turned trembling to one another and look what they attribute this to. What is it that God has done to us? They're not like, oh, what official made a mistake? What person in the Egyptian government, when we told them we just wanted a transaction, what a, no, what is God doing here? What is this that God has done to us? And they realize that this has become way more than a simple transaction to get food in Egypt. They realize God is doing way more in this simple moment they understand that God is pursuing them, pursuing their secrets, pursuing their hiding, pursuing their shame. God is frustrating their lives to awaken their deepest need. Now verse 35, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, which they know is a lie or they think is a lie. Um, they're not sure. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. Jacob believes Simeon's as good as dead because he's in a prison or he's in a jail in Egypt. And now you guys want to take Benjamin back? All this has come against me. Jacob is in a desperate place. And I think we could think like, man, I, w I don't like being in a desperate place. I'd rather, if I had the option of my life just being, you know, like the Lego, like everything is awesome, you know, like that song. Um, like that's where I think I'd like to live in the everything is awesome. And God doesn't live there. So in actuality, I don't want to live there because I want to live in reality and I want to live in the reality of where God lives. And um, God is taking them to desperation to awaken them to their deepest need. They were after bread. God was after the saving restoration and redemption of their entire family. They wanted to do a transaction 
God wanted to do a transformation. They wanted to do a transaction. God wanted to do a decades in the making transformation. I, I was sharing this with some guys that I was meeting for with uh, praying with yesterday and Kevin brought up um, this idea of if we had two options and let's say option one is you come to church for bread and you get a nice warm loaf of bread and uh, it tastes good, it feels good and you leave transaction accomplished. The second option is he does give you bread. He cares about our physical needs, but he also opens our eyes up to decades of guilt, decades of shame, decades of um, unresolved conflict. He doesn't want you to just come and leave with bread. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to forgive. He wants there to be reconciliation that seems impossible. If you would ask the brothers like, hey, in the next six months, you're gonna be fully reconciled with your brother Joseph. They'd be like, he's dead, this is impossible. And it's like, hey, he's like even 20 years of baggage. Like option two is like, hey, I wanna go into 20 years of baggage and I wanna heal that. We were talking apart, I think from God's grace, we'd be like, I'll take option one. That sounds too hard. Sounds too emotional. I'm too tired for that. Don't have enough time to deal with that. I'd like some bread, please. I'll be on my way. And um, what he is after, what he wants, Jesus, would you allow us to say yes to that? We know this is gonna be harder than bread, but it gets us out of prison. It frees us. And what is great is Jesus says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I, I want to be with you every step of the way. Uh, and what I love is Jesus has the most dirt on us, period. Like no one has more dirt on us than Jesus because he knows our thoughts. He knows every action. He knows every motivation of our hearts for a lifetime. And what I love is instead of him smearing it in our faces, he takes it with him to the cross. That's the type of, we're gonna see Joseph being like Christ. And what's amazing is we actually get the real thing. We get the real relationship that he invites us into, which is like, like I want, look, first of all, God, like, would you show us the places that we are like Joseph's brothers, um, where we're not honest men and women, where we are needing saving. And Lord, I believe each of us wants healing. Each of us wants reconciliation. Each of us want you to capture our hearts. And um, Psalm 139 is, is just a beautiful Psalm. The last two verses, or the uh, verses 23 and 24 say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, um, and I just, 
I, I think like this psalm would have been really good for Joseph's brothers <laughs> to meditate on, um, seeking a transaction, but, but really God is after transformation and, a, and for us. And what I love, what we have and the treasure that we have is the only way we can be led in the way everlasting is to be led by Jesus. To Jesus and by Jesus. We need him. We need him right now. We need him more than bread. We need him for total healing, for peace. The, the, the word that the, the Jewish people in Hebrew would use the word shalom, which meant peace. It meant wholeness. Our life is whole. Our whole story has found peace in him. He designed communion. We're going we're gonna to step into communion and he designed communion as a consistent moment to search us, to know us, to try us, to see us, and to lead us. And um, one thing I love is Jesus actually calls himself the bread of life. Not just like a quick meal, like he is the bread of our souls. He, he is the bread of life. And uh, my prayer has just been, would we be a church full of Joseph's brothers? Would, would, when people hear our story, it's like, that kind of reminds me of Joseph's brothers in some ways. Now, by God's grace, we haven't done a lot of things that his brothers have done, but we've done a lot of things away from God's great plan for us. And, uh, and a part of how we come to him is to repent and say, I am not the God of my life. I'm not the king of my life. I'm not the center of my life. I'm not the savior of my life. I repent of those things. You are all of those things. And for us to be a church full of people who, who instead of like just seeking a meal to keep our families alive, we're actually meeting the bread of life to lead our families to eternal life, to truly have life. So God, would you give us just a, a moment with you? Thankfully, we can commune with you tomorrow. We can commune with you on Thursday. You pursue us that way. You are open to us that way. You make time for us for that way. And Lord, there's something special when you do teach us about gathering together. You teach us about how important your church is, a living body. Lord, would you allow your body to function right now in how we minister to each other? And Lord, we, we desperately need to commune with you. We don't want a transaction where we just have momentary physical needs met. Lord, we desire total healing. We want peace everywhere. In our history, in our future, in our present. God, would you allow us to commune with you for some may need to give their lives to you for, and, and meet you as their savior for the first time. Lord, would you lead them that way? Would they respond and come to you? For those of us who, by your grace, have, have given our lives to you, you are our Savior. You are our peace. Lord, um, we want more of you. We need more of you. We need you to search us and know our hearts, to try us, know our thoughts, illuminate the grievous ways in us, not so we can run away into shame, but that you can lead us in the way everlasting. God, each of us want that. We want that way. We want your way. We want the way everlasting. And so even as we commune with you, 
through, through this way that you've designed for us in the church to commune with you. Lord, would we be just knowing and feeling that you are leading us in the way everlasting. Jesus, we pray.